and welcome to the Life of the Mind podcast from Avalon and Brookwood Schools. I'm Sherry Walsh, assistant head at Brookwood, and I'm here with Andrea Francois, lower school plus six director. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Sherry. This episode, episode number 10, is different in that we're here to discuss a book we totally can't teach in high school, <laughs> um, but one that we think that adults who are open to some earned grit will enjoy. Um, we're here to talk about the super smart book, Donna Tartt's The Secret History. Um, so Donna Tartt's book appeared in 1992. Okay. I did um, enough research to realize that because I, I remembered it as being earlier. Um, so I was relative, I was in that period out of college, um, heading toward graduate school uh, when I discovered it. And I thought it was an amazing book. I really loved it. Um, and it is the story of some classics students at Hamden College, which is a stand-in for Bennington, um, who um, have who desire to enter into um, their study of classics by actually having a bacchanal. Um, and by actually um, trying to enact what, um, you know, to make Dionysus appear, to, to actually enact um, a ritual of, um, of ancient Greek culture. And um, the story begins actually on the first page with um, the murder of one of the member of the, um, one of the members of the group with the idea that, um, the story then will be about not what happens, but how it happens. Um, that's a, a kind of device that we that we see in Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, um, and that Toni Morrison talks about overtly when she talks about her own novel, The Bluest Eye, um, that by giving us the end at the beginning, our focus is on um, and how it unfolds, but the the story itself um, again focusing on character will be um, even if you know what's going to happen. I think I think um, will be um, it, it will be satisfying. Well, uh, I came into this book a couple of months ago through a book club, and it was kind of funny because the previous book in the book club was like a murder mystery that I only read 80 pages of because by 80 pages, no one had died. And I was really annoyed. So this was a nice um, antidote to that. Yes. As I was expressing that to the other members of the book club, they were like, oh, well, you're going to really like this next one because, you know, there's a murder in the first sentence. I was like, oh, hooked. I'm, I'm in. I want this. Uh, so I think as a, as a framing device, I, I found it very engaging uh -huh. and really did... Uh, help me want to be involved with the characters yeah. and not so much of the like nitty gritty of the police detective part of it. Right, right. So rather than following like the the plot to sort mm -hmm. of solve the who done it, yes, um, you find yourself both like how does this come to be, and then in this novel um, you do get a good bit of like the consequences. Yes. So the murder actually, I mean, it takes place on the first page, but um, in the the unfolding of the story is um, maybe about halfway, right? Because mm -hmm. you get the um, the setup and um, the way that is that these people come to feel that they need to murder their classmate um, to the um, the end of the novel where you really understand more of kind of the consequences of the murder for the various characters. And so that's, um, I mean, that's different from crime and punishment and, um, it is different. Um, also I think than other books that often take this on um, this kind of approach where you would have, um, you know, prologue murder, 
epilogue. Now you see there has been a murder. Mm -hmm. um, so it's um, so this is this is different in that way. And it's interesting because this is such a this is kind of a done thing now. I think people are really maybe like overexposed to this type of storytelling huh. in you know really more popular things like lost and things like that so they think it's not interesting they're mm -hmm. like oh this is super overdone and i'm like no, no no this is how it's actually supposed to be done really really well as opposed to what you're used to of seeing the end first and then just kind of being bored through the whole thing ah, so okay. uh, for me like coming into it so many years after it was written yeah uh was a really it was a really interesting experience to see where things i was more familiar with came from yeah and oh that's interesting how yeah. they have been done very badly uh and to see how somebody who's working with it in as a very original idea yeah. or like semi-original idea is able to build something out of that yeah is lost a tv show Yes. Yeah. So this, I mean, so thinking about like the, um, the, the written word too, mm -hmm. and the way that, um, Tart has a lot of control over, um, not just plot and then, I mean, but also characterization and, um, and description, like the way that, the way that it all unfolds, um, pacing, like all of that kind of stuff. I mean, I realize that those elements exist, you know, in cinema yes. as well, um, but Very um, the, the way that she controls all of those elements, I think is really masterful. And maybe that is, makes for part of that difference. Yeah. Yeah. I never feel like any of the shifting is gratuitous and I never feel like having the murder up front is a gimmick. No. Um, I mean, what it really reminded me of initially was um, the movie Sunset Boulevard. So, which starts with the narrator and the murder, uh -huh. and you see it in the very first scene, mm -hmm. and he builds backwards. Hmm. Um, so, I it was just really interesting to see this formula, like from where it can come from, yeah, and from what will happen afterwards, yeah, and very much like the structure of the book, <laughs> right? Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that, so I read the book in 1992 and, um, and really liked it and it stuck with me, like the, especially the character of Henry Winter, uh, mm. really stuck with me for years and years. And, um, and then I went back to it after I had read the goldfinch, uh, which is the more recent Donna Tartt novel that is, um, you know, great. Um, and so from, from that point, like reading the goldfinch as kind of like this is going to be the apotheosis of what donna tart can do um reading that and then being able to go back and uh, and pick up the secret history um i was not disappointed you know I, I i felt like the characters still stood and um and you know what young donna tart did um was was sound mm -hmm. yeah I have actually not read The Goldfinch. I tried. I got like three pages in and I was like, eh, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, that's another one that begins with a scene at the front that um, in this case, it's um, it's chronological. Like it sets off. No, it doesn't. It's, it starts in, in Amsterdam, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, the, so there's a scene at the end that's at the front as well. And then you go to the childhood of Theodore. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's, um, I, I can see how that would be um, not ideal for, you know, I don't know, for every reader or for, and I, I can see how yeah. it would be possible to put it down at the beginning. 
I have more of an inclination now to go and read it. Yeah. Where I'm like, okay, wait a second. This might not disappoint me. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking about sort of what we might talk about as we talk about this novel. Um, I mean, for me, it's very much about psychology and characterization. Um, it's very much about evil. Um, stylistically, I think it's about like some really powerful dramatic irony. Um, it's about, and I think it's a very writerly novel too. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. we get a real sense of like what Tart is up to. So the reason we can't teach this in high school, like one of the reasons uh, is that there's a ton of drug use. And, um, and for, I mean, as far as I understand, um, Donna Tart is using drug use and sleep deprivation and, um, and other devices, um, dreams uh, in order to show a character's altered consciousness and in order to make the characters less inhibited. Um, and so, I mean, I think that, that those devices are really well used on her part in order to, um, to provide different effects. I don't know. So when you think about the novel, what strikes you, like, what are your main ways in? Um, I think, I think the character of Henry is so such a strong character in such an interesting way yeah because he's both like strong as an absence and the way he's talked about by the other characters okay is in in how enigmatic he is yeah um and i found that just utterly fascinating yeah so just to kind of set it up um richard papen goes off to college at hampton uh, he's from plano california and i think this is also one of the reasons that i like this book so much is that um my childhood in central florida is not unlike <laughs> his childhood in plano california i mean a lot of like you know suburban sprawl um and the kind of cultural aridity that goes with that the, um, but yeah, so Richard Papin comes from California to go to school at Hamden. Um, he um, wants to take, he had taken some, um, some Greek back at home. He wants to take Greek. He finds out that the Greek class is closed. Um, he makes himself invaluable to the members of the Greek <laughs> class um, by knowing an answer. And, um, and then he's invited into the group. Um, the, the clear leader of the group is Henry Winter, um, who is the strongest, um, Greek student, the person who's most, um, devoted to scholarship in this particular way. Although he's not the most credentialed, um, he, um, he doesn't go to high school or doesn't finish high school. And, um, and then you have their, their professor also who teaches them almost all of their classes. Um, so the character of Henry then is, um, is this, this strong figure. I mean, again, if we think about these novels told by these, um, I would say he's that Richard Papin is involved. I wouldn't say he's semi-involved, um, oh, yeah. by the, um, but by these, um, these first person narrators to tell a story about other people. Um, I mean, you think about Nick Carraway and the great Gatsby, you think about Charles Ryder and Brides Had Revisited, like those, those kinds of first person narrators. Um, you get this picture of Henry from Richard, um, but then also in all these various conversations. And in one case, a letter, um, you get different depictions of Henry. Yeah. And I, one of the things that was brought up, in uh in the book club that i was in was that uh the idea of an orphan oh, and yeah. i had actually not thought about that as i was reading it that most of the core characters are either 
orphans by circumstance or yeah. orphans by choice. Like Richard is an orphan by choice. He yeah. leaves his family. Well, his parents don't like him much, but yeah. They don't like him much, but then he concocts an entire self and yeah. an entire life for that he presents to others. Yeah. Which is totally full of holes and everyone knows oh, right. it's a lie. It's like so funny as he's like really digging down into it and you're just like, dude, everyone knows you're lying. Like you should stop. Um but then you have I mean Charles I mean, and Camilla are actual orphans. They're actual orphans. So this orphans. is a set of twins in the class. The class consists of um just a few people. And so Charles and Camilla are actual orphans. They're actual orphans. Francis is essentially an orphan as his mother is a child right i mean she is more like a sister than a yes. mother and not a very good sister like not even like a loving caring one sure um and bunny is an orphan in the sense that his family has great aspirations for what his life should look like right and no understanding of who he is and right. what he can actually achieve. Well, and they don't give him any of the right. resources except for the, the, the outside resources. Yes. So they give right. him, um, so they um, they send him to the prep school. They send him to um, Hamden, but they don't give him any spending money. Um, and he's he has to sort of fend for himself once yeah. he's there. Um, and so there's like the shell of a family, but not a kind of, um, of reality. Um, and that's interesting yeah. too, thinking, I mean, thinking that way, you have, um, like, why are these people so drawn to this core of classics, you know, yes. students, like, why are these people together? And of course the answer is that they lack families. Yes. Yeah. And, and they find sort of a family in each other. I mean, Richard talks about it at the very beginning in the prologue of like what connected us. Yeah. And you can say that it was love, which is strange based on what I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Like, and I, I really liked that part because it helped me to want to keep knowing. Yeah. And I feel like you kind of get to a part sort of in the middle where you're like, these are terrible people. They should not hang out. Yeah. You guys should all leave each other alone. Well, so this is like, kind of the problem with the, um, so Donna Tart was friends with um, Brett Easton Ellis. Um, and, really? Yeah. They're all at Bennington. Uh, they all, they all oh. came out of Bennington at the same time. And so, like, I mean, he wrote novels with unlikable characters. And Very you unlikable get, characters. Like, the, I mean, they're kind of of the David Foster Wallace, mm. um, Jonathan Franzen. I mean, those are some people who write some novels with some really unlikable characters. Yeah. And we understand that, too, as, like, an extension of the antihero. Like, mm -hmm. we understand that this is the extension of, like, Salinger and, and others. Um, but that, um, I mean, it... Yeah. I mean, so there is a place in the novel where if you don't have anybody to hang on to, you kind of wonder why you're reading. Yes. And for me, that place shifted in the scene where Richard is by himself over the winter. Okay. And he is in the scary... So they have, they have a long winter break. And, um, and so Richard, um, everybody takes care of themselves and, um, Richard doesn't want to admit that he doesn't have any resources. So he ends up getting a room um, with a hippie um, who makes mandolins. And um, the idea is that he would get to stay in the room as long as he helps out a little bit. The hippie turns out to be terrible. Um, there's a definite anti-hippie strain throughout oh, yeah. the, the, the novel. The hippies and the townies do yeah. not come off well in this. And I don't know a whole lot about, you know, upper 
northeastern <laughs> small school type things but if this were what it really is i mean i wouldn't go there yeah <laughs> yeah and the actual place where richard stays turns out to be dangerous um so it's so so poorly kept up that there's a hole in the roof um and um and so over the course of this part of the novel um richard becomes quite ill but yes. go ahead and talk and, about that. and henry intervenes yeah. in this sort of miraculous way in order to yeah. save him and i that for me was like very like pivotal as you see you know what's going to happen and you've kind of been with these guys for a while and not great things have been happening and you're like ah, i'm not sure about this and then you have like a real terrifying moment of human suffering and a person who does not seem particularly empathetic. Yeah. Who rectifies that situation. Right. And I, that was so helpful to be able to see, like, of course, Richard is going to stay with him. Yeah. He's going to follow him. Yeah. This is literally the guy that saved his life. And yeah. he's been a little bit on the fence up until that point. He's part of the group, but he's not really part of the group. Right. And, and he wants to be part of the group. And so there's yeah. that too. It's, I mean, sort of like, like fighting your way in and then you look around and you're like, oh, here I am. Yeah. <laughs> Who are these people? I mean, I am I really like, sure about this? Yeah, I think that's a relatable situation. Um, but yeah. And so you have Henry um, as, as, you know, as saving Richard and, um, and being compassionate, right? Yes. Yeah. It's interesting too. I get strong Raskolnikov vibes about right now. So I think yeah. about Crime and Punishment <laughs> where um, you have um, the protagonist of Crime and Punishment um, believing in this kind of nihilistic philosophy and, um, and, going about what he does and uh, and then he'll have i mean in this very sort of dark um abstract um intellectual space right and um and then he'll all of a sudden like see a situation and want to help and help mm -hmm. um like he'll you know give all of his money away or he'll you know try to save somebody um, and so, I mean, I feel like there's, um, there's something there with Henry as well when, um, when there's a point in the novel where Henry kind of has to reconcile the plan of the murder with the actuality of the murder and how it's difficult for him to do that because it's been a game for so long. It's yeah. been a, a kind of abstraction. Um, and so thinking about how he, um, he's able to, you know, how that works, how he's um, sort of two minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know that I have any answers for myself about how, not like how I feel about Henry, but just, I mean, I'm still thinking it through. Yeah. And it's been a couple months now and still thinking it through, which to me is sign of a good character. Yeah. And but yes, he does. He has these moments of like real compassion and, you know, he, by the end with Camilla, who is in such a bizarre situation of abuse and incest and... Another reason we can't teach this book in high school. Oh yeah. That one was a real shocker. Um, as I was reading, I was like, what, what has just happened here? She's... She's so desperate and yeah. she's so sad and 
Henry really does save her. Yeah. Almost at that point, knowing, I would assume knowing that he can't actually save her. Like, he cannot build a full life with her in the future. That he can rescue her from the immediate abuse that she is involved in, but he cannot actually bring wholeness to her life and her future because they have already committed this murder. Right, right. Because they're already both broken. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, it's, it is an interesting way of looking at the ending of Crime and Punishment. Yeah. That, if I remember that correctly, and that has been a while, Sonia isn't broken. Right. She can bring real like she can be a real conduit of grace she's compromised yes and i mean she's she's made um, sonia is made to be a prostitute in crime and punishment and um she is um and and raskolnikov gives her a hard time uh, because she is i remember that kind of very unjustified (laughs) yeah because she's kind of untouched by what what's happened to her and she seems to like she she loves god and she has hope um while raskonikov sees her as a kind of emblem of human suffering and um and and is really kind of testing her Mm -hmm. to see if she will break or if she is broken yeah. And so that's interesting. So assuming that Tart is self-consciously doing this, and I think there's the line from Crime and Punishment oh, in yeah. the novel. Uh, so you, I mean, so we we understand that Tart is doing this self-consciously. Uh, there's a sense that um, that Sophie Deerbold is a kind of Sonia figure. Sophie Sonia. Oh yeah. Um, and <laughs> so Sophie Deerbold is a um, is a character who shows up later and is a kind of solace to Richard. Um, but and they they date later, um, but they can't stay together because she sees that he's unreachable. Yeah. Um. That he. Um. Yeah. That I, I think we can leave that there. That he's that he can't be brought along by her. Yes. Um. And that would be a, a key difference between Raskolnikov and Richard. Yes. And I mean, you have you have such a difference in the ending of. The possibility For of sure. like grace bringing the comedic resolution, uh-huh. not funny. I but, understand. Um, and I mean, essentially, this is a tragedy. Like yeah. as right, they can't. They cannot be whole. Yeah, and I feel and, like the story is self conscious about that too. With I mean, with yeah. like Julian. Uh, so Julian is the professor, and um, when he finds out about the murder. Um, he packs up and leaves. <laughs> that um, was so... He does not, he doesn't turn them in, but he is out of there. And um, there's a, a scene in the book too, where they think about, uh, or maybe Richard thinks about um, that, you know, that Julian might have, you know, have sat at the table and wept for Bunny mm-hmm. um, or sat at the table and wept for all of them. Um, but Julian does not do that. Like he, no anagnoresis, like there's no moment of realization recognition. No. There is not a kind of tragic, resu- I mean, positive resolution, um, to the story mm-hmm. for him. Um, he behaves like a coward and leaves, which is perhaps why Henry, um, in the end, um, steps mm-hmm. up. It was, that was one of the most interesting parts of this book to me. And Julian? Then, yes. Yeah. So you read the back of the book. 
And it's talked <laughs> about like that these people are brought together through this charismatic professor. So Oh, that's true. I being, you know, a fairly literal person was like, okay, so this is a book about a professor and about how like as it's going, Julian is really absent. He is Yeah. He is He's all surface. He's all surface, but he's also like how I came to understand it eventually through my like anger of what is going on here was I mean, he really is Apollo in the temple and Henry is his mouthpiece. Oh, he wow. is really hidden and Henry is what speaks for him. Oh, that's interesting. And interprets him to yeah. others. I mean, they, the little scene where they're doing the teacher recommendations. Yeah. And Henry is writing. He's like, this is so stupid. These people don't realize they're in the presence of a genius. And I'm like, because he never says anything. <laughs> Right. Like, of course they don't know. Right. Um, and yeah. is he? Yeah, I'm so they're saying... filling out a teacher evaluation for Julian so that, um, I don't know, he because it's time. keep getting paid or something. <laughs> like, I think they talk about how mundane and stupid it yeah. is. And, yeah, And so Julian is so, so present in their lives and yeah. in how they think, but he's so absent for the reader and Richard addresses that in saying like, I don't think I can explain to you what he, what he meant and what he said and who he was to us. Uh -huh. And yeah. yeah. So the entire time that I'm reading this and I'm, I'm just convinced I'm like, well, Julian knew he's put Henry up to this. He, he uh, has known the whole time. So like all this, the secret meetings between yes. Henry and Julian. I was like, yeah. Oh, well he's clearly the mastermind to this. Oh wow. And when it comes out that he, a knew nothing about it and yeah. then just bolts in the night. I was, I was floored. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I didn't think that he was behind it, but I was still struck by yeah. his cowardice. It's yeah. really shocking. Yeah. And and it is so sad. You have this horrible feeling for all of them. Yeah. In that they you know, they they murder Bunny because they have enacted this Dionysian ritual and they believe achieved it. I have questions about that. And in doing that, have accidentally murdered a farmer. Right. And Bunny finds out and blackmails them right. for, you know, all of this time. And so when Julian just abandons them completely, there is just like such sorrow. Yeah. Because they have taken him at his word and done what he has told them to do and lived the life right. that he has presented to them right. as the realest thing that is possible. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know what I would do if some people took me at my word <laughs> and then it turned out that everything I said was totally wrong. I'd, I'd like to think I wouldn't bolt in the night, but it probably would. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it seems like the, uh, I mean, the, the murder of the farmer is one thing. Um, and then it, the other question is like, how do you respond to blackmail? Yeah. Um, and so it's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I is the, I mean, the murder of the farmer is the natural consequence of what they did. Yes. Um, that they totally don't see coming. 
Um, and but then when Bunny finds out about it and a feels left out because he wasn't part of it and uh, not the murder so much as the bacchanal um, and um, and then reacts as he does. Um, I don't know. I mean, it seems mm. like there's there's a there's a kind of difficulty there in um, in figuring out like how to parse that. I don't know, but I agree that um, that Julian is um, is all surface and um, is sort of. Um, I mean, his his attitude is one you can imagine having been very effective in the past. Yes, um, you know, <laughs> let us leave the temporal world and enter into the sublime. Uh, this, I mean, I may or yeah. may not have ever said that in English class. Uh, and um, the um, and and then some of the other sort of aspects of the way that he is with them. Um, but he's not with them personally. And, uh, and when they have a personal problem, they don't yeah. go to him. Like, and Henry's not going to go to Julian and say, Hey, remember that back now? Um, let's, let's <laughs> talk about, happened. yeah, something has happened. I need your advice. Right. I mean, and also, I mean, all the professors are terrible, right? The, um, the French professor is, oh, yeah. I have enemies. Uh, I must be yeah. careful. <laughs> the dean of students, please do not tell me. Uh, and, um, and Dr. Roland, the, um, Oh, oh, the psychology professor. Psychology professor. <laughs> that and, Richard is stealing from. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, uh, but I'll, I mean, also, you know, working for, and yes. yes. Occasionally. Yes. Um, so the, um, so yeah, I mean, the professors don't come out very well at all. I honestly, if you just read this as like a idea of what a small liberal arts college was, <laughs> none of it comes out well. You wouldn't want to you wouldn't want anything to do with it. Well, I mean, except that like, there is a real draw. Like, I mean, I think the reason we care about them early on is that we are interested in, yes. in what they're going to do and what it is to study the classics. And again, these people who don't have families um, are hooked into something larger than themselves. And that's, you know, and that gives their lives meaning. But of course, it's, it can't be yeah. a kind of, the way that they've done it, it can't be a kind of full or, um, or you know, fully, I want to say nourishing kind yeah. of um experience like they can't they can't get family from this um yeah. well and i think nourishing is actually like a really interesting adjective to use because there's so much in the novel about how physically destructive what they are doing is uh -huh. there's so much description of their overindulgence and their sickness from that yeah. And, you know, the binge drinking and the drug taking right. and and all of those things that you can viscerally feel them physically falling apart. Yeah. And so there's this sort of fun loving um, binge drinking um, that happens among the larger college and then there's this, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it doesn't come off very positively either. So don't worry <laughs> about that as a negative influence. Uh, but it, um, but the, um, but then as, um, as these students feel the pressure from what they've done, uh, they, um, yeah, I mean, they fall into these, these habits and they, um, they can't, which they can't control. And um, that, and they, um, I mean, you have, you know, Richard becoming increasingly addicted to the pills that mm -hmm. he's stolen, um, in order, in order to make it through the day. And, and Charles becomes, you know, an alcoholic yes. and, um, you know, and so everybody sort of like what they, um, sort of like the fissures in their characters, 
um, break wide. The things that are already there become much more pronounced as a result of this, as a result of the pressure of this evil. Yes. Right. Um, and so this, um, so as, as we go, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, the novel is a kind of meditation on evil. Oh yeah. I would agree with that. And, and not evil as an, as an outside menace, like evil is a more, I don't want to say internal is disposition because I don't, I don't think they're evil in the sense that people use that as a, we are one or the other. Yeah. Um, but there's, there is not some terrible tragedy that happens to them that they respond to in the wrong way. It is right. really the, their malformed hearts, like misformed. Uh-huh. And for the various reasons that they are. And then. So they want the Bacchanal because, I mean, Henry yes. says that he wants to live without thinking. Yes. And so they want that for a reason that um, that they have a particular need for. Yeah. Because of their, you know, pre-broken situations. Um, they So they have um, this desire for this more than most. And certainly Henry as, um, as an academic um, who lives entirely in his head. Uh, that idea of living without thinking is especially appealing. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's that. And so they, their, their brokenness leads to the killing of the farmer. Um, and then everything that happens after that. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything that happens after that, you do see, you see places where they could make different choices. Yeah. And you see them in some places trying to make different choices. They, I mean, as ridiculous as their plans are, and they have the idea to escape to South America. Uh, right. I which, mean, that's, that's not murder. Yes. That's yes. not murder, but it's, it's totally ridiculous. Yeah. It's completely absurd. And then they turns out they don't have any money. Right. Um, which just at the first part, you're like, well, you should check that one first. Um, there's not a lot of practical thinking going on around this place. Right. Uh, which, I think they're increasingly desperate. Yes. And they're in at the points where essentially there should be an adult, like, yeah. intervening. Yeah, for sure. There, there isn't. Uh -huh. And the, the idea of, you know, kind of the romantic or enlightenment idea of the soul as being like essentially good and outside forces make it into oh, something that yeah. it's not. I mean, this is a really strong refutation of yeah. that, yeah. that the, that original sin, which is not what she says, but is what she's dealing with really does exist. Mm -hmm. And because they don't have, real formation from a family and a community right they they just keep making the wrong choice yeah and yeah tara is a catholic yeah. convert i'm not sure i can't remember at no. what point she converts um but um but yeah <laughs> which i found really interesting finding out later after uh i found that out in book club too and uh mostly because what was struck a lot of readers there was Brideshead Revisited in uh -huh. this book. 
which I don't have enough familiarity with Brideshead Revisited aside from what? I really don't. Uh, <laughs> I read it once. I didn't like it. Um, what was like, the, the basic line? Um, the idea that what Donatar does is maybe what Wa was a little bit afraid to do and to show yeah. these things okay. in their very real truth. Okay. And that the characters in Brideshead Revisited are still a little sanitized. Um, there's still a politeness yeah. to their society and their culture and yeah. their behavior that is more palatable. Yeah. And even the grittier yeah. moments are pretty kind of stylized. Yeah. So um, Sebastian in Morocco. Yes. Is, um, I mean, falling yeah. apart is, uh, is still kind of, um, yeah, still kind yeah. of stylized. Yeah. Sanitized, as you say. And, uh, and, and Julia also having a breakdown by the fountain is, um, is also, yeah. I mean, it's a breakdown, but it's, it's pretty. It is. It's <laughs> all very pretty. And I mean, that's part of what Wa is is after, and is my right. really main issue with that book. Um, when he, when Charles at the end or near the end is talking to Cordelia and recognizes what a good person she is, and uh -huh. recognizes that she is like full of of real love, and his throwaway line is, "It's too bad she's ugly." You're just like. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, that's like, not, I mean, okay. I mean, that's Charles, that, though. I mean, that, it that, is, like, but I just, that that's not right. I, I don't necessarily feel that I should reread it. I should reread it, but I don't necessarily feel that Wa thinks Charles is wrong there. Um, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll think so, about this more. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. Maybe I'm just being very vengeful and grudgy. Uh, maybe why I liked this book a little better. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, I think that's yeah. true. Mm -hmm. Like this sits with the problem of evil in, yeah. um, in a way that's more Dostoevsky than Waugh. Yes. In a, in a way. Um, and, and you all, but you have some of those same kind of ideas, kind of the, um, the, the person who doesn't have the fully developed family life, um, finding or trying to find a family um, and sort of how that plays out. Um, and so you, mm -hmm. you certainly get that in Brideshead as well as, um, as in this novel. Uh, so that's, mm -hmm. that's interesting. So before we run out of time, one of the things that I wanted to point to was just the writing here. Um, you have the, um, so you have the snow early on uh, when um, Richard is with the hippie and the, um, and so you have him, you know, freezing and, and all of that. And so, and we all understand, you know, that snow is the objective correlative for death. Um, and, um, and, uh, and then later, of course, um, when after, so when they kill bunny, um, they expect that he'll be found right away. This will be an incident and then it will be over. And of course, as in all tragedy, that's not what happens. Uh, so it, it snows. So there's this unexpected spring snow and, um, and so th this is the description of, um, of what happens. And so the people are starting to notice the snow and they're, they're and even the people who have just murdered someone, um, are, um, are, they're kind of filled with wonder, right? They're like, Hey, look, you guys, it's really snowing, right? Okay. Uh, were they predicting it? Not that I heard, look at this. It's almost Easter. 
I don't see why you're so excited, Henry said crossly. He had a pragmatic farmer-like knowledge of how weather conditions affected growth, germination, blooming times, etc. It's just going to kill all the flowers. Section break. I walked home fast because I was cold. A November stillness was settling like a deadly oxymoron on the April landscape. Snow is falling in earnest now, big silent petals drifting through the springtime woods, white bouquets segueing into snowy dark, a nightmarish topsy-turvy land, something from a storybook. My path took me beneath a row of apple trees, full-grown and luminous, shivering in the twilight like an avenue of pale umbrellas. And it goes on from there. Um, you get this description of the snow. And of course, the snow um, covers, I mean, like James Joyce, the snow <laughs> is general all over Ireland. The, uh, the snow covers um, everything and, and including, you know, the body. Um, so it's um, it's a while before the body is discovered and this creates problems for them. Uh, but you have the snow as, you know, as functioning symbolically, you have um, the, the way it functions on the level of plot, uh, and you have the way it works in terms of tone, mm -hmm. um, that they have both kind of a wonder for it, um, but then they're also um, tired of, you know, tired of winter and, um, and all of that. And of course, Henry's last name is winter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's, it, I, I feel like it's, I mean, like that deadly oxymoron um, is a place where I marked it in the book because it, it, it seems a little over the top. Uh, but, um, but in general, I find the writing to be really, really lovely and that she has such nice range between this kind of lyricism, this kind of lyric description, and, um, and then she can also bring it down. I mean, there's also the scene where um, they're concerned about drug busts at Hampton and, um, and there's a, a kind of description of um of how that goes the um let's see if i can find it real fast here it is um the majority of our classmates however were thrown into an uproar by the information accurate or not i still don't know that the drug enforcement agency had brought in agents and was conducting an undercover investigation uh uh theophile gautier writing about the effect of um, Vigny's Chatterton on the youth of Paris, said that in the 19th century night, one could practically hear the crack of the solitary pistols. <laughs> Here, now, in Hamden, the night was alive uh, with the flushing of toilets. Pillheads, cokeheads staggered around glassy eyes, dazed at their sudden losses. Someone flushed so much pot down one of the toilets in the sculpture studio that they had to get somebody in from the water department to dig up the septic tank. So it's like, it's it's over the top and hilarious, you know? It is. It's so funny. Yeah. I, I found her writing really, really incredible in this book. And yes, she's got such a way of really building these beautiful images and... I would be very interested in your interpretation of the ending, which as a like piece of writing is just unbelievable. Yeah. Even if I don't understand what she meant at all. And then her very pointed use of just the short sentence. Yeah. And also to like point out to anybody listening that this is not like a voyeuristic book as much as it presents a lot of evil. Um, and in the scene in which Francis and Richard are engaged in some amorous activities, her description is events progressed. Yeah. And that's the whole sentence. And you get everything you need to understand out of that sentence and such a, like, insight into Richard and his 
disconnection from his own body. Right. Where he, to, after, you know, great description of many things, is events progressed. Yeah. You're like, wow, this is, I found that just, like, so amazing as a writer that Uh you can find two words that will give an immense picture that other much lesser writers would give lots of words uh-huh. and not in any way the impact. Well, it's because she's like, built it up before. Right? Yes. So, um, so, you know, um, you know what's going on um, to, to a degree and with the kind of vividness that when she, you know, sort of backs away or when Richard Papin backs yeah. away, the narrator backs away, um, you, you fill in. Yeah. So I don't know do, if we want to talk about the very end or not. I have questions. Um, I don't know. Maybe All we I should. have questions. <laughs> so maybe we hmm. should. I don't know. So if you if you haven't read the book, now is the time really to turn off the podcast <laughs> and uh, and to go read the book uh, because I think we're about to talk about the very end, um, which is a surprise. Okay. <laughs> now it's just us, people who have read the novel. Um, okay, so in the very Hello to listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, thinking about this, um, like, so the culminating scene then is at um, at the Albemarle Hotel, um, where we get um, Charles loudly and drunkenly bursting into a room um, where he's ready to accuse everybody of everything. And, um, and we see Henry take this opportunity, um, to declare his love for Camilla and then shoot himself. All right. And accidentally shoot Richard. And accidentally. Well, I think just Charles, I think Charles. Somebody accidentally. Charles. Charles accidentally shoots Richard. Yes. Uh, Richard's okay. You don't have to worry. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, well, physically. Um, what? I don't know. What? I don't know. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I think lots of things. Some of them might be more true or not. Okay. Like, so um, what? So okay. My question is: I mean, first of all, like I see how it's dramatically appropriate. Mm-hmm. I see how Henry step. Julian disappears and goes away. Henry steps up and is willing to be the hero. And also, Henry isn't going to have any life after this. Mm-hmm. So it's. I mean, so he's done anyway. Uh, so it's appropriate, um, both literarily and in terms of just like his characterization, like literally in terms of plot, right? Mm-hmm. And in terms of his characterization, that he should exit at this point in a yes. dramatic fashion. And also the suggestion would be that he sacrifices himself. But I mean, my question is, how does this solve the core problem? How do we know that, um, that other people aren't just going to go and talk? I mean, like Francis and Richard aren't. Um, Camilla isn't, but Charles is still there. That is really, I think, an unanswerable question. Yeah. So is it the grand gesture? Is it that that Henry... Or if... I mean, Charles has been going downhill pretty quickly. Yeah. His behavior has become more and more and more erratic. Yeah. And... I think you could, from Henry's calculation, pretty easily build a case that anything that he says is just the rantings of a drunk. Mm-hmm. Yes. And may I would think that Henry kind of takes that into account. Yeah. That even if, even if Charles 
spills the beans on what they've all done, he's maybe not long for this world. And even Mm. if he is, no one is going to believe him. Uh He has no credibility left. Richard and Francis and Camilla do still have some credibility. Yeah, but they're not. not And they're not going to say anything. Um, Yes, it is really a question, though, in... From Henry's perspective, you're like, but this is how does this solve the problem? Similitude. Yes. Like, how does this solve the problem? I mean, it is it is the grand gesture and it ends the scene. Um, And Richard does say, I imagine we would have been able to patch it up somehow. Yes. Richard, he's (laughs) like, I I don't think this was necessary, you know, but um, but we're but we see it as um, as a thing that happens. Um, And um, and we see it, I think, as this kind of dramatic ending to the plot i don't know so you think it's just it's it's there as kind of a gesture and um and then it ends the scene and um the innkeeper and his wife are um you know able to understand uh, able to have a narrative of what happened and because they because they open the door before he shoots himself um so there's um so there's that i mean so do you think that's it well, I mean, I think maybe it might solve the problem in the sense that, like, tragedy will supersede tragedy. Yes. And blood will have blood. Yeah. <laughs> in Bunny's death, this death of the farmer yeah. that has really set off events in the mind of the town gets lost. Uh-huh. Like, Richard talks about how he's been seeing the newspapers, newspaper articles about this farmer and that they're still looking for somebody. And But in Bunny's murder, that is put by the wayside. And Henry's sacrifice slash suicide is very public and it's witnessed by many people and it happens in a place in the town that is very known right they talk about how presidents have come to stay there right so he really kind of trumps all of the other things that have happened yeah and as these tragedies compile people stop asking questions right about what has proceeded yeah so that's true i think that's a good way of seeing it and it's also i mean no matter what we think about the morality of any of this, um, I mean, I think we're we're made to understand that it is Greek, mm-hmm. you know, like the the gesture is appropriate in a tragic sense, in yes. in, in a in a Greek way, um, if not, you know, in in other ways, and like in the actual world. Uh, yeah. So the uh, so I think that that's like it it's mm-hmm. it's suitable for the world that's been created by the novel. Yes. And I think you can really read it also as a incredibly realistic moment of despair. Yeah. In that in Julian's abandonment, Henry's yeah. world and center is gone. Absolutely. And he there is nothing in his environment to provide something different yeah there which i appreciated in the sense that donatart didn't throw in like random jesus characters right um which would have been really false right and as much as we could say it would be very life-saving when maybe soul-saving for some people it would have 
it wouldn't have worked. Right. But he's nothing is going to step in. Even his relationship with Camilla. Yeah. Is going to. Right. That's undo what has happened. Yeah. And. I. I have a lot of empathy for that moment where there is. He cannot see any purpose for his own existence anymore. Yeah, yeah. And that even the other people around him who love him and care for him aren't enough for that. And so I, I think she, like, I, it is very Greek and he, like Henry presents it that way in his demeanor, in his words, in whatever he says to Camilla that she never shares. Yeah. And, but I think seeing it through Richard, we, we feel how real that really is and how you don't have to be involved in this kind of situation to end up in that place. Right. Like any life built around falsity. Yeah. Ends here. Yeah. And I. Right. And so, and that's the way in which, and that's the way in which the novel is, um, it gives, it gives its, um, like makes clear its values, mm-hmm. um, not in a didactic way, yeah. um, but in, in, in ending as it must. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Quentin has both yawned and <laughs> given me the high sign. So I think it's, um, it's time to, to finish. Um, thank you so much for coming to talk to me about this novel, which I love Thanks. so much. It's, I really am very like happy to have, been exposed to this novel and to like again sometimes when you encounter things that you're like this was really a privilege to know that this is out there yeah this is one of those things i feel that way about it's just and it's something that i will keep thinking about like as time goes on yeah i feel that way about the goldfinch too ah well i'm gonna have to give it another shot yeah (laughs) yeah i would and i think i think that's actually a more um overtly catholic novel uh, with the um, the narrator really looking for things that are larger than himself mm-hmm. in in that way, uh, but that is the subject of another podcast. <laughs> this has been the Life of the Mind podcast from Avalon and Brookwood Schools, Episode Ten: The Secret History with Andre Francois. Our producer is Quentin Walsh. Our music is by Fabian Tell. Opinions expressed are the participants' own. Mm-hmm.